What's up, man? How you doing? Man, doing good. Can't complain. Look, um, we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about today. I know we, me and you, we, we chop it up all the time. And I think this is something that the world needs to hear. I think they need to gather a perspective on um, just where a minister's minds uh, just where a minister's mind can go when dealing with, you know, hot topics that are in news today. And um, I think for it's sure. great for everyone to, you know, just just be able to get a Christian worldview uh, and an actual transparent uh, mindset with it as well. So uh, we've got a few topics today. Look, we want to talk about ministers and infidelity. Let's go. So, I mean, real. <laughs> that is exactly exact ministers and infidelity. The most common one we've seen recently. We don't want to use any names because I'm not in the business. We're not in the business of persecuting, um, but we want to chat about the topic at hand. So for sure, ministers and their infidelity. Also, uh, I'd like to talk. We'd like to talk about um, patriotism in America, especially in black America, how it could be um, a very hard uh, thing to wrap our brains around and being such a patriot in exactly. this world when we know that in black America, things are tough. Things are tough. And so, and then third, and then last, we, lastly, we'd like to talk about, um, gender reassignment. Now, very hot topics. Let us jump in to the first one. Bradley, what are your thoughts? What are you thinking? Okay. So minister infidelity, that whole conversation is very relevant. I think for like me, because, you know, for context, for those of you who don't know, me and Jeff, then we both are ministers and we're both pastors and we have a whole family of ministers and we've been around ministers for some years. And the conversation of minister infidelity is always a topic that's out there. But I don't it's kind of one of those things where, like, I think the public, the church, the congregation, the world, they don't really know how these things transpire. And to be quite honest with you, in a lot of these cases, I don't know either what's happening with the ministers that you know fall, who cheat on their wives and things of that nature or vice versa. So it gets really confusing from a perspective of someone that attends church or someone that might even be serving in a church as to like, you know, what is the accountability level for ministers? Or how should a minister be dealt with when they uh, when they fall to this transgression? Or what is the path for restoration? And I one of the things that I think me and Jeff and both have been questioning is like, what is the restoration path for our brothers in Christ? And that's where it gets really it gets kind of sad in a lot of cases in ministry. I think because we want. You know, everybody has their things that they mess up with. You know, as people in the world, cheating is a big topic, period, in life. But it's shameful in a sense when we see those numbers reflected in the church. Like, you know, 50% of people that get married, their marriages end in a divorce. And that same percentage applies to the church. Now, you would be like, man, the people in a church are divorcing at the same rate as the people that don't attend church, that don't believe. And it's true. So when we talk about minister infidelity, I think for me, the thing that hits the most home is having accountability. And where and the first question that I ask, and it's not to bash them, because I think it's not that accountability doesn't exist, but just giving my own personal experience as a minister, 
We do not accept the accountability that oftentimes is readily available. Right. We do not we do not go to those resources, even though we know like as men as we we have so many brothers. We have people we're close with. And I'm sure it's not like a situation where they're just ministers and there may be, but they're just ministers out cheating. They know each of them are cheating on their wives or they know that one of their buddies that they are around are cheating. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but the fact that you could be around the person and not know that they're doing these things or not even have an idea that that's something that they struggle with. I think that is a major concern from the standpoint of accountability, but also for us, I mean, just in my personal experience, it's easy to be like, you know, Jeff to hit me up. Hey man, how's it going? I'm good, man. Good. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. You're doing good. It's easy to say you're good, even though you're probably struggling or going through things. So that's kind of some of my quick thoughts just to start out. And I would even say that there is a large, okay, not maybe large. I would say there is a good amount of people that do know that that there is a good old boy, good old boys club (laughs) in the church world as well, as well. You all look, they've got people, they've, we've got sex in the Christian world that actually knows everything that they're doing. From I mean, from the clothes they purchase to the, the 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 parties and the things that they do, there is a group and there is a sect of people that know that. Look, I'm cheating. I'm telling my other pastor friends, and we out cheating. We going and we mm-hmm. you know doing this, this, that, and the other. So I think there is maybe let's just say a small sect of people. Let's yeah. say small because I don't like to I don't like to try to persecute the church. I don't think that's what we're called to do. I think we should be edifying, uplifting, and sending it all sure. back to Him. So, but I do think I, I would even dare say, Bradley, that there is a um, a huge group of people that actually not small group. I keep saying huge. I, I want to. I guess I'm trying to make this. <laughs> no, there is a small group of people that actually know exactly what they're doing mm-hmm. and they hide it for years. I, I think there's many yeah. of uh, she, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing in the body today, and um, we got to talk about that. We must talk about that because they're they're deceiving a lot of people. And I'm not going to get into names, but people that you see on TV every day, probably on TBN, on the Word Channel, on the Internet, on YouTube, some of the viral preaching that you see on YouTube today. Be very cautious because, you know, check their inner. What I like to do is, you know, like, well, how can I be cautious? I don't know these people. I like to watch a lot of interviews. Mm -hmm. You know, I like to because as Christians, we have a discernment of spirit. And I, I like to check these people and then even music artists. I like to watch their interviews. I like to keep up with them on social media. Sure. I'm trying to look at their lives and say, OK, this person got it. This person is not out here faking and being, you know, not wanting to be held accountable. But unfortunately, there is a good group of people that don't like accountability from truth uh, seeking individuals from real exactly. life. Christians. They don't want accountability from them, but they would rather get accountability from people that are on the same mindset as them as let's cheat. Let's go out and do what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, and just speaking from personal experience, I've never cheated I've never, you know, committed infidelity. I'm sure I have had my shortcomings in other areas and other temptations and things like that when it comes to lust and things like that. But it's specifically specific to the act of actually cheating and things like that. No, that isn't something that I fall into. But one of the things that I have come to learn, and this is what I probably say in response, is you have those cases where people just flat out shamelessly cheating and they're not being held accountable by their ministries. 
and those people in those ministries, you know, they need, we need to be praying for them and uniting in prayer. And, uh, yeah, there's an element of discernment where we have to, as leaders, as Christians, you know, see that and help other Christians to see like, Hey, you know, I'm not trying to bad mouth, but there's some things going on there. This may not be a place that you want to be at or not, you know, that's not our role as ministers, but I'm speaking to more so just the body of Christ. You know, you know, people by their fruit. But the other aspect when it comes to minister infidelity that I think we can both touch on is the fact that you it's a symptom of other things that you have going on. It's not just something that I think is in and of itself. You just are doing this. That is the the main issue. But it's it's a deeper root issue. I think when it comes to a mixture of control, sometimes it's a deeper root issue when it comes to your view of women. I think it also can be a deeper issue. Um, I think it could just be a deeper symptom that we see of a person having these insecurities of themselves. I was chatting with somebody not long ago when it comes to the topic of infidelity, not necessarily minister infidelity, but just in general. And what it boiled down to was this person had an issue of contentment. They were Mm. not easily content. And I reflected back when I was first married, when I first got married and how all the while, while I was dating and things like that, I felt so secure. I felt, you know, like, oh, I'm in good shape. God gave me, you know, amazing woman of God. And the moment I got married, I started having contentment issues. I was like, now all of a sudden the temptation became Oh, did I marry the best woman that the world possibly had? Because there's billions of people (laughs) in the world. And I'm like, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden this temptation, this voice from the enemy in my head is like, did you marry the best woman? Did you marry the best looking woman? Is this really who you're going to spend the rest of your life with? And I think not just ministers, but a lot of us deal with this issue of contentment, being content in what God has given you, being content in relationship. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, it's tough. Look, I'm not out here to say that you know, look, I've got the spirit. I feel that I'm spirit filled. I feel like I'm not in that space right now in my marriage, but I've been there. And I've Mm -hmm. been in those dark moments where it's like, man, like you mentioned contentment. I'm like, well, you know, she's going to be there. But for Mm -hmm. for me, it's not necessary. It wasn't necessarily a contentment thing. It was a, it was a temptation type of thing. (laughs) Do I still have it? And I think a lot of men for that matter, can, you know, get into those dark spaces in their life where they're like, you know, do I still got it? They may check up on their exes on Instagram. They may, you know, yeah. be like, you know, the exes pictures on Facebook and things like that. And it can lead you down a path to where you are in, especially if you got some money and especially if you are in the eyes of the media. It, I feel like it's so much more accessible mm-hmm. to fall short. And that's why I try to show grace and I don't use names because, yeah. I'm not in the business of attacking these people, but rather, like you mentioned, Bradley, uh, figuring out how we can um, send reconciliation um, and, and just be a body of Christ to where when things yeah. like this shows up in the media, instead of the world attacking us, how can it be um, us saying, OK, look, we're, we've are we been transparent about our flaws, our issues. Um, and look, we go through things just like everyone else. Exactly. So, yes, j- I am a pastor. Yes, I fell short. But look, I need your grace too, world. And, I'm t- and I, you know, and I'm just thinking I'm like, <laughs> world, I'm not perfect. Look, when I'm in the workplace, I make mistakes. When I'm in the church, I make mistakes. Yep. Why? Because I'm a human. 
And so, you know, you mentioned contentment. I mentioned temptation. I think we get hit from all angles. And Mm -hmm. I just think it's one of those things where it could happen to any one of us. Now, on a more scriptural um, side of things, I I believe that, you know, especially as pastors um, and because we don't want to just sit here and be so open and transparent. That's great. But we also need to apply some scriptural context to things. I think that um, as a leader, as a pastor, especially when your congregation is made up of thousands of people, the scripture says that the blood is on our hands. You being a leader, Pastor Bradley, you have people that look up to you that say, okay, man, this brother, he he doing his thing. He created music. Um, He's living a life for God. He's married. Um, He's got a good paying job. He's got all these different things going for him. And sometimes you know, in the world's eyes, they could just be it. But then you've got this other group of people that, that yeah. will sit there and just wait for you to make mistakes. Well, that's however, outs- <laughs> huh? I said that's facts. <laughs> yeah. And so however, the outside world is looking at you, whether they're looking for you to make your downfall or whether they're looking for you for encouragement and just taking in what you have for them to mm-hmm. receive. At the end of the day, the blood is on our hands. And so regardless of how these people on the outside look at us, the blood is on our hands. And every person through scripture, if they were leaders, the blood was literally on their hands. There were consequences for every man and woman of God's decisions that they decided to make if that were um, def- in direct uh, violation, in direct opposition of God's calling for their life. If they made a mistake, well, guess what? There were consequences for that mistake. Right. But I think what has happened in the Christendom world today is because the church is so known for being judgmental, I mm-hmm. think the outside world has just gathered this uh, this this normalized behavior of saying, "Okay, well, I'm gonna just you know I'm gonna get what I could get. I'm gonna get what is it, what's in it for me, and I'm gonna wait for their downfall. And if they make a mistake, mm-hmm. I'm gonna show you that. Look, see, I told you, but." I'm, I, I'm, I wish we could just change the paradigm and it, so that the world understands like, look, yes, I'm a leader. Yes, I'm striving to be all that I could be and, and just be a light for each and every one of you all. But if I happen to make a mistake, in which I am not wanting or trying to, if I happen to, I need you all to show me grace. But guess what? Even if I make that mistake, God will <laughs> judge me so instead of you all judging me let god be the judge of that hey i think that's a good note to end that one man i loved everything you said just one quick scripture the bible says every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed the bigger issue is identifying what are those things that you lust after that draw you away and sometimes you got to write them out and then once you know what the enemy is whether it be the external enemy or the enemy within then you start to realize, okay, if these are things that I'm drawn out of my own lust for and enticed by, then I'm going to eliminate those things as a minister, as a man of God, as a woman of God. And then it's going to be very hard to tempt me because I've already eliminated. Like every Bradley is tempted when you put a McDonald's nearby him or you take him to your latest fast food restaurant and you offer him some food. You offer him a fry from McDonald's or every Bradley is tempted when he's in the middle of a fast and he goes out to eat with friends and knowing that he can't eat. Mm-hmm. So if I eliminate those things, then I have a shot. I have a shot at doing the right thing. So 
man, good conversation on that, man. I love everything you shared. Yes, most definitely. Yep. And yeah, no, let me let me say just one more thing. I, <laughs> I know we, we're about to jump into our next com- uh, discussion. We have Pastor Bradley and I have seen ministers fall short to infidelity. And we have been graced enough to watch our leaders um, send reconciliation their way. Um, but what we've noticed within our you know, few instances is a lot of times when, how do I say this? Because each different person varies. Um, but from the people we've seen, it, 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 it was a thing where it had become so normal. It, it had become so just like the pride had crept in. And I yeah. feel that things had become so normal to the point where they were holier than everyone else. And guess what? Yes, that was their mistake. But I think from their perspective, they were looking at it. Well, well guess what? Everyone makes mistakes. You make mistakes mm-hmm. too. But just because mine was in this particular area of life doesn't make it any greater yeah, than yours. Pride. But what happens in that rationale of thought is because I, for many years I've preached that all sin is the same. But what happens is the public humiliation, the parties that are attached to that sin, the, um, you know, the people who you've let down. Yeah, I mean, certain sins have more trickling effects and more detriments um, when committed. So, yeah, cheating is just as bad as gluttony. Infidelity is just as bad as gluttony. But guess what? I could get away with not having the embarrassment <laughs> because, you know, yeah, I eat a lot. But guess what? Um, it's I'm just not fat. A, right. You see? <laughs> so it's just, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, you there's so many parties affected with infidelity. You, you <laughs> don't understand the trickling, the traumatization of the woman or the man that's been cheated on, the family, and how now they, you know, there's a trust issue now. And then, well, guess what? Now you got to try to feel like you got to prove yourself now and improve yeah. your trust to them. So now you're working extra hard on the, it's just so much going on. And so, yeah, man, I, I, I what we can do though, is we can change the narrative. And, and I, like I said, I will, we'll close it out. We could change the narrative. And instead of thinking that we are perfect individuals like the church does mm-hmm. all the time, we can be more transparent. We can be more open and we can preach relationship over religion. And I exactly. think when we see instances, very small instances, because I feel like if we could just be more transparent, I think there would be a, 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 a lesser amount of, you know, public humiliation and sin going on in the world because the world will be more gracious because guess what? Hollywood members, Hollywood actors, they cheat all the time. They getting into you know infidelity all the time, but it's never spoken on. But it's when a pastor does it that it's a big deal. <laughs> so. Hey, you just drop you just drop some dimes on that one, man. You drop facts. I agree. All righty, let's talk about our next uh, topic here. We're talking about patriotism in America. It's, Good old America. Good old America. (laughs) More specifically in black America, right? We two black individuals. So, you know, if you're wondering by looking at my hair, I am mixed with Trinidadian um, and black. So I'm half black, but I've always considered myself black. So, you know, because oftentimes I forget, you know, and people look at me like you, you look pretty international. Are you sure you I'm black and Indian, but I've always considered black and Trinidadian, but I've always considered myself black. And that is what I put on my applications, if you're wondering. And I have my whole <laughs> life. <laughs> uh, so 
let's talk about it, man. Um, it's tough being um, a supporter in the country that we live in. For one, I think because of the freedom that we have. Mm-hmm. Like, like I mentioned to you just a few seconds ago, I am mixed and I have been to Trinidad and Tobago. And guess what? There is a strong uh, pr- pr- uh, patriotism mm-hmm. um, in Trinidad and Tobago. There is a strong culture there, but it's because of the history. It's because of things that, you know, is done currently. Mm-hmm. And and it's because also, I think, because of the, how do I say this? The freedoms that they do right. and do not have. I believe that America has the most freedom in the world to do whatever and say what you, you know, there's more freedoms in America. So for mm-hmm. one, I think that the reason we have such a uh, d- democratic voice in today's society is because of the freedoms that we have. Now, two, I think that, Um, the black voice in America and the black patriotism in America um, for our culture, for our country has become um, very thinned out and, you know, very, you know, vaporized in a sense, non-existent because of our historical roots. And I think it's one of those things where it's, it's hard for blacks to really be patriotic. When I was playing Mm -hmm. sports, when I wrestled every, every Sunday, I got into the routine of saying the Pledge of Allegiance, right? You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it was one of those things where, and guess what? We all stood. I didn't think, but guess what? There were times when I didn't stand, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was one of those things where it was just, you know, everyone got quiet, but guess what? There were times when I didn't stand. There were times when I did stand Uh, or, um, you know, and and sometimes I'd have my hand on my heart. Sometimes I didn't have my hand, but for the most part, it, Mm -hmm. it was there. I just did not, I, I, I was never able to embrace it like how I see my white brothers, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. You know what I mean? Like I, I've always had a certain level of patriotism. It just always can get uh, convoluted with thoughts at times because of history. And, and you know, right. it, just a little more on that. It's, it's hard. It, and so it's hard sometimes knowing that my white brothers um, have grandparents that have given them lots of lands and acres of land. You know, and it's just some instances I have in my life. It's hard hearing my coworkers share with me that their wives um, inherited land from their grandparents, tillable mm-hmm. land profitable land that they could get money from. It's like a side hustle. It's hard to hear stories like that and know that, man, that could have been my ancestors who helped, you know, create that land for you, that tillable land. And (laughs) I don't have that land. And so in in America, in this black America that I feel I live in, um, it's hard to be super patriotic and knowing that there are certain things that are just still from old days that have trickled down. Um, but then some real subtle, um, you know, subliminal at times uh, biases and, you know, racism, uh, right. racist activities that happen for me to just go full throttle with my patriotic behavior. What'd you think, Bradley? Man, that was a mouthful. You spoke a lot. Um, yeah, patriotism is a very interesting conversation. Uh, for me, and you probably can relate, or maybe your experience is a little bit different, but being from South Side of Chicago, uh, by all intents and purposes, the ghetto, <laughs> I mean, ain't no patriotism in the hood like that. I mean... My mom is more of a patriot, I guess, more than most. Like, she'll actually, on, like, 
Fourth uh, of July and stuff like that. She'll actually put out a flag and junk. Flag, She'll yeah. actually wear, you know, <laughs> the apparel and whatnot and things for America. And so patriotism is really interesting. So I had a little bit of a unique experience, but by and large, patriotism isn't emphasized in the hood. And that's what I, and not all black people are from the hood either, but mm-hmm. by and large, culturally speaking, there is a big difference in the experience that black Americans have. And as a result of that, there isn't, I mean, we, I think all, if not most, at least of black America would love to embrace this country and be like, you know, land of the free and the home of the brave and, you know, put their hand on their heart to the anthem and do all of that thing. I think there's a desire to want that, but the dissonance I think that we face is we do not necessarily experience a lot of the values that we are told to represent as patriots. So our patriotism looks a little different. Our patriotism actually, in fact, serves as, and we just talked about with the previous topic, but uh, accountability. We Mm -hmm. focus less on espousing the values of America, but we focus more on holding America accountable to those very values. So if you call yourself the land of the free and the home of the brave, I don't believe they were saying that. I believe they were saying that even during slavery, land of the free, home of the brave. And if you're going to have these different values, if you're going to say we hold these truths self-evident that all men are created equally, then we, I think what most black Americans, men and women strive for is to see that transpire in our lifetime, to see that transpire for our children. And that's what our desire is. So when we have apprehension, like, I mean, man, I know many people, like I just maybe over the last couple or few years, just finally started to proclaim and hold up the American flag. Because I used to be like, in my mind, the American flag was symbolic of racism. It was a connection between being overly American and racist. Mm-hmm. So like I wouldn't you never see me looking to a flag or holding up a flag and things like that. But I just recently started to embrace the fact that I'm an American and how not proud of slavery, but very proud of the history of overcoming slavery. So I'm very proud of the inventions many black men and women have created, the accolades of black Americans. So I am a proud American. I am very patriotic of that because I believe that we are foundational Uh, to this country, more foundational than most Americans, period, because we a lot of people came here as immigrants. Mm -hmm. A lot of our white population came in as immigrants. We know our Latino, a lot of them came in as immigrants. The only people that were here prior to us were Native Americans. (laughs) So they, you know, they are the only ones that are more foundational to this country than us. So when we talk about patriotism, those are just some of the things that have been coming to mind lately. And I guess my challenge would be to those that are really patriot, that really feel like they are patriotic about this country, understanding the difference. And this is where I think a lot of people like myself and others have been turned off from patriotism over the years is people fuse together patriotism and nationalism. And that's where the issue comes because patriotism. Explain the two in there. Explain Explain that. So when we think about patriotism, you know, being a patriot, meaning, you know, standing up for this country. A lot of black people probably would view themselves as patriots because Mm -hmm. they do. The only reason why would you fight against racism if you didn't want something better for this country? It's not a selfish thing. It's a very selfless thing to fight against oppression, racism, evil. So 
I would argue a lot of black people are patriotic. But when we talk about nationalism, that's more of like a blind following of something. You're nationalistic to an idea to the point where it's like it doesn't matter what's happening. So a lot of people are patriotic and nationalistic, whereas black people aren't that nationalistic because a lot of the nationalism of this country is rooted in a lot of bigotry, a lot of racism, a lot of other stuff we don't espouse. And just to clarify, so like I think I get I think I understand what you say, because like my the way I would explain it is and just to share this for any, you know, sure. our white following that's that's listening to this. Listen, you, you got to you ought to understand that our Thanksgivings don't look like you all's Thanksgivings. Our Christmases don't look like don't look <laughs> like you all's. we don't have white Santas. We don't have, you know, and some of us do a large majority of us do. But but then you've got, you know, black families that have black Santas, you know, and yeah. just, you know, the different cultures that are being made up. And so it sounds like the nationalist listic behavior that some people uphold to is only centered around things that are most close to them instead of the actual a culmination of all of America. Yeah. It makes sense. And so like it's only it's centered around what looks closest to them and not the entire body of America. And so yeah, I didn't I just want to you put it exactly the way I was thinking it, but I couldn't verbalize. Yep. So when I think about nationalism, that's exactly what tends to be the issue. And it dives into a very, uh, it dives into a very close-minded perspective of what a patriot should be, and so we all would agree that anybody that's been in the army is a patriot. It's not even a question. It's not even a debate. If you fought in the army, and obviously, if you didn't betray America, you a patriot. <laughs> it's that simple. But you know, a lot of times we don't view people who don't subscribe to certain things of this country as patriots. So like if I disagree with the national anthem, which originally had a lot of racist language in it, they actually had to cut the song, like to cut two thirds, if not more of the song out to actually make it not racist. But the original national national anthem is a very racist song. Wow. If memory serves. So it wasn't as, you know, as I guess positive as it, may seem now when you hear it when the Cowboys are playing or whatever your favorite football team is and they've had a national anthem. But understanding that just because someone isn't as uh, nationalistic as you or doesn't have the same view of the nation as you doesn't make them less of a patriot. It actually reemphasizes them. If you really get the nuance that is. Now, I'm not talking about your cultural Marxists. I'm not talking about your people who uh, want to see this country destroyed or uprooted completely to the point where they want it to be a socialist country or they want it to be a communist type of country or they want to see every single thing destroyed. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is having a level of empathy. My shirt says empathy over apathy. Mm-hmm. Having a level of empathy for the experiences of an oppressed class of people who are trying to get on their own two feet and understanding that the way patriotism looks for them is going to be different than how it looks for the dominant society, which is by and large white Eurocentric. So, mm-hmm. yeah, great points, man. I think I said Pledge of Allegiance earlier. I meant to say National Anthem. National so. Anthem. Yeah, thanks for, for saying we that. Did, we did both growing up. So, I mean, it, it feel like one and the same because you do them back to back. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's tough. And it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's, it's tough. Like, because, and I'm just being super open here. Like if almost in the black culture, if you're too patriotic, 
You're gonna get ridiculed. You're gonna. Well, what do you yeah. mean? What you doing? We not I from am here. a real American. Like, nah, that, you're gonna get clown. That ain't how this don't work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you know, some things in the black culture that we could clean up on, but we're waiting. Sure. We, you know, and we're waiting on you know things to happen for us as well. We black people. Oh man, black folks are so laid back. We're so forgiving people. Such forgiving people. We're so. You know, just so open, transparent, like I, I don't understand why we are still talking about, you know, patriotism within the black community. I, it's hard for me because yeah. look, this is fought our in all the wars. Thank you. We fought in all man. There's some things we didn't invent it that <laughs> we didn't get credit for. It's some things we didn't did that will never be spoken of in our history classes. Why aren't we taught? Why are. OK, let me ask this question as well. I'm not going to get too sidetracked. <laughs> Why do we have a black? I've always struggled with this. Mm-hmm. Why do we have a black history month? Right. I understand speaking to the historical roots. But if we were truly interwoven into this country, like how all of white America, let's just say that how white America has you know, spoken on. Why do we only have one month when really mm-hmm. it should be? Man, they, black exactly. folks—they didn't been here since the time, you know, the, you know, the start of this, you know, the thirteen colonies. Exactly. So, why do we have one month? Really, this should be in our curriculums. We should be learning more about, you know, notable black figures, and it yeah. just be that, you know. But I don't know. It's it's a lot, you know. You one of the biggest, like we don't even acknowledge, like one of the biggest revival in this country was led by an African American man and stuff. It's like a lot of things that like you can look in all nine major areas of activity and you'll see uh a constant effort to stifle that and to bring it bring it back to you know i think we've been flowing in a spiritual level with this anyway but to really center it back uh to god and like the church is as a church we have to see past the enemy's tactics Hmm. we have to be we can't be ignorant of his devices and so we're not putting blackness over a relationship with God or our identity as Christians. Exactly. Exactly. Black blackness isn't an idol, but mm-hmm. we'd be foolish to ignore the realities as well. So like it'd be ignorant for me to just be like, you know, I'm not black, I'm an American, and think that I'm gonna get the exact same. I can hope for the exact same treatment of someone who isn't black, but if I'm ignorant of Satan's device, if I'm ignorant of these things, then I can't really help other people to see like I won't be able to help people who don't have the experiences that we've had to see what we deal with. There won't be room for empathy because there won't be room for conversations. I guarantee you a lot of the Caucasian ministers that we've been able to interact with over the years about these things, they have a completely different view and perspective and level of empathy than they would have ever had if they had never came in contact. Cause a lot of people, if we being real, man, we live in a country where people try to go as separate as they can from whatever they disagree with. It's a lot of echo chambers. You know, hmm. if CNN tell you something, you believe it. If Fox News tell you this, then you believe it. If, CNN, if Fox News tell you that uh, these people are cultural Marxists, you immediately write them off instead of actually hearing what they have to say. So hmm. all of that being said, from a spiritual perspective, this isn't to divide, but this is just to bring more awareness to the fact that, yeah, black people are patriots, too. It's not going to look nearly as it's not going to look nearly as acknowledging, especially from a group of people that still are trying and fighting 
to have their place. I mean, think about it. They'd be like, you know, if you want to see change, vote. But there's voter suppression in some states directly geared toward African-Americans to not vote. So there's still a lot of resistance and we're still working to get that. Even the crime bill, which was put in place, like that affected African-Americans. That's systematic racism put in policy. We can find policy. I think in the year 2000, Alabama made uh, interracial marriage legal. <laughs> like what? <laughs> in 2000? That means in our lifetime, you, you were, how old were you in 2000? I was seven. Jesus, you youngin', man. <laughs> you, like you were young. 10. You were at least 10. I was 10. I was 10 at the time. But you so, know, Bradley, yeah. you, you made mention of something that is just Totally my okay, so okay, you may mention well, you you spit a bunch of gems. <laughs> now, this is going to be a conversation for another time, but let's talk about that 94 because, like you mentioned, we listen mm-hmm. to both outlets as Christian, as the body. I mean, me and Bradley are super, you know, logical and, and pragmatic in our train of thought and in our worldviews. At the end of the day, the Bible is the final authority for our lives. So, for yes, sure. we're talking about patriotism, yes, we're talking about black America. But look, first of all, let me say this. We're kingdom citizens first and foremost. Yeah. Because like I mentioned earlier, blackness, whiteness, Hispanicness, that's just those things when put on pedestals are idols. Yes. We shouldn't be talking about color, but we are because of what happens, what has been transpiring in our country today. So we must talk about it. But in the body of Christ, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, Color was the last thing on their minds, right? They didn't have to talk. So we're kingdom citizens first and foremost. And then the second thing we should be talking about then is our nation and not the, the, the you know, it's, it's our nation and how we, there should be a level of patriotism for our nation. We see in scripture exactly. all the time, the children of Israel. What is Israel? Israel is a nation, right? We hear the children of Israel was constantly Come fighting on. against against the Egyptians. What is Egypt? A nation. So when put into that perspective, you realize, okay, God never designed it for us to be separate, but equal. But evil men created this, you know, this this, this rationale that, you know, certain folks should be looked at as inferiors. And now here we are talking about color yeah. and patience. Because they use the Bible. A lot of it was done on the on the pedestal of morality these people are less than humans this is what the bible says about servants and slaves so you're not doing anything wrong you're following the bible so they distorted the scriptures to to their selfish gain wow yeah that's a whole nother message man (laughs) but but to your point and so but but back to the point so with that being said that's one thing but you made another point about the, the crime bill now because i like to hear both sides and like I say, this is a conversation for another time. So if you're listening, please look, stay tuned for this because I yes. want to talk about this as well. The idea of that crime bill was for drugs to get off the streets. Yep. Unfortunately, it affected a large majority of black people in that time. Now, the whole conspiracy or the whole mindset of it was drugs. See, here's the thing. Here's why the conspiracy behind it is that the government sent drugs into the black communities to kill them all yeah. out, you know, things of that nature. But now here is this crime bill that we're talking about, which unfortunately it was to get the drugs off the streets. Mm-hmm. It was to get evil people out of the streets. But 
unfortunately, it affected a large majority of black folks. So, you know, like yeah, I say, it's, it's a deep conversation. Yeah, <laughs> we, but, we could go into we can go into the side of it where they made a arbitrary, uh, they made an arbitrary basic decision that crack was worse than cocaine. So the time you get for doing crack was worse than cocaine because crack affected the black communities, right. cocaine affected the white community. So it was like very arbitrary uh, separation in like those things. Because if you had made it equal, if you had equally policed cocaine, then guess what? It would be a lot of whites in prison too. And guess what? They would have got rid of the crime bill much sooner. <laughs> that thing would have been gone in less than a month because there were so many white people in jail based on that. If it was policed equally and if it were viewed as equal as crack. But, and we know when white people get in trouble, stuff happening to white people, stuff happens real quick and changes, like with the opioid oh, yeah. crisis. Oh, man. It's a it's a huge deal. <laughs> Why? Because of the powers that be. Because exactly. of people, people coming to, you know, into places of power and not including all of us. That's why this conversation of patriotism is relevant, relevant, because now you can see like, OK, I'm going to be a patriot to a country that does this to me, that has done this to people like me that have affected. Because even if you didn't get affected by it in and of yourself, you can probably find a family member that was affected by the crime bill or by certain legislation specifically to target black community. So you can find somebody that was affected by laws from Ronald Reagan in the, in the 80s. So. It's a lot of different things or the welfare things that were passed where for a family to get welfare, the father couldn't be in the household. Like we can go on and on on things that were directly set up to sabotage our communities and things like that. And so when we talk about patriotism, uh, the last thing someone like myself or Jeff then will want to hear is, you know, if you don't like it, leave the country. What do you mean? That's like it's like I'm getting a whooping and I'm like, if you don't like it, you can get out of here and you keep whooping me or you keep on hurting me and causing pain. And so I'm no longer I and we don't desire to be victims. But if you're being victimized, I mean, hey, we got to call a spade a spade. Like, hey, I'm not trying to be a victim, but you got to acknowledge that you're doing some wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the reason because, like I mentioned earlier, Trinidad, um, I would dare say even for mostly other countries, China, India, things like that. Well, if you don't like it, leave the country. That's their stance because of their history. There's mm-hmm. always seemed to be, you know, just the same groups of races in that country. And so it never was. It, it, it's it's not like America. America is obviously different because we're made up of so many different, uh, you know, historical, you know, history, uh, culture driven p- types of people. And so we all yeah. have different cultures we'd all have different histories that we bring to the table and so um it's one of those things why that's why i understand democracy and you know just allowing everyone to have a voice in you know including things so i love that that's one of the that's one of the w's that america does get is democracy so there is a chance for change Mm -hmm. exactly exactly yeah, man. So I think this was very rich. Um, look, I mean, these things are tough to talk about. Um, and, and I hope we've prefaced it as best as we can in, in, in reminding you, like, we, we honestly don't believe that these conversations should be talked about sure. if things were to have happened correctly initially. Right. If mm-hmm. evil people didn't come about and start this color thing, we shouldn't we wouldn't be here having this conversation. But because they did, here we are. And we're still 
think, uh, you know, going through the, the consequences of these things, the trickling effects of these things that mm-hmm. happened. Yes. A long time ago. So, yes, we need to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, We're not making it up. <laughs> Thank you. Great talk, man. So let's let's move on to our next topic here. Let's move on to a more aligned with, you know, political, you know, talk. But I think it's it's necessary because we as the body of Christ, um, we have to uh, call a spade a spade. We have to call truth truth. And, and the scripture says one to them that call evil uh, good and, and good evil. And so we have to call it what it is. And so this topic of gender reassignment. Many of you may or may not have heard it said in that vernacular, that terminology, but essentially gender reassignment is when you will allow a male or female to reassign their gender depending on how they feel. And we've had some politicians who have, you know, come about who are saying and who are trying to mandate that gender reassignment should be normalized and it should be passed through legislation, all that political jargon, it should be passed so that these things could happen. So I'm going to drop it off on you, Bradley. I know this was, <laughs> I know this is a topic that I came up with and I want to talk about. And I feel like I think I have a lot of, you know, insight and, and, you know, scriptural knowledge on this, but man, times are, times are weird right now. I mean, we're talking about That's a nice. male calling themselves a female. There's one Christian rapper. I'm going to say his name because he's my favorite Christian rapper, Bizzle. He says, you know, you giving these individuals an option to, he's, <laughs> I'm not going to say <laughs> the lyric, but pretty much he says, clip, I guess I am going to say the lyric because that's more, more politically correct. He says, clip his member. You're allowing young boys to clip their member and they can't even decide what time they're going to go to sleep. They can't even make other decisions in their life, but they can make the decision to clip themselves mm-hmm. and change their gender from a male to female. These things must be talked about. Yeah. I think this is super, super, super uh, critical to the body of Christ. Yeah. And I, I, we're not, let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about yeah. it. Man. Yeah. The, the threat to this country is not, um, someone that's a liberal, someone that's conservative, the threat to this world is people that live in the extremes of things, people that live in extremisms. And I'm not saying that someone that's transgender or transsexual is like a threat because I want to, I want to extend enough grace, enough love, enough compassion to be like, you know, I don't understand what you're experiencing, what you're going through, what you're feeling. I don't understand it in my own personal experience. I don't understand it in the lens of the faith that I believe in. I don't understand it. I think what frustrates me. So really what we're talking, we're not, I think more specifically what we're talking about is in the context of children. This is where we get, this is where we really are hitting on. We're not, you know, if you want to make that decision for yourself in the world that we live in today, there is a separation between church and state. You have the legal means to do such things. You have the legal means to wear a dress if you want to, or dress yourself in the fashion of a woman, if that's how you identify yourself, so on and so forth. Got it. No problem with that. As far as you making decisions for yourself, because we all have given, been given free will and that's fine. I, I, my The part where I push back the most and I'm the most uncomfortable with 
And this and, and let me be very clear, it has nothing to do with has nothing to do with it being a conversation on gender. That's a whole nother topic, whether or not gender is fluid, whether or not what how you view gender. I will I'm I'm a critical cultural studies major. I got my master's degree in critical cultural studies. So I do understand the case that there is a lot of performative aspects of gender. So like certain things we were like, oh, that's what being a man is about. But I'm like, well, no, that's not necessarily what being a man is about. Like, oh, so certain performance aspects like crying, or you, you think of crying, you think of women, or you think of overly emotional, you think of women. So whenever there's an overly emotional guy, you're like, you acting like a girl, you crying like a, you know, you come up with these negative connotations. So I get that there is a toxic aspect of performance that we oftentimes immediately ascribe to gender stuff. So like, if you're a man, you should be tough. If you're a man, you should be strong. If you're a man, you should do this. You should work with your hands. A lot of things that don't necessarily have nothing to do with gender in its totality. But the issue I have is when you put this on children, when you either A, sexualize children, yes, cuties movie with the children twerking. Mm -hmm. I have issues when you sexualize children. I have issues when you put the too much autonomy on a child to come to that conclusion. Yeah. I have a lot. Now, again, we are of the church. We are of the kingdom of God. So our opinion is going to definitely not be in alignment. I don't expect the world to agree with this. You know, I just don't. And that's, and I think we can respectfully disagree with each other without imposing our beliefs on each other. But that's exactly my point is like, I shouldn't have to be concerned with, if I want my kid to be in a public school, that they will be taught that they can choose, they choose their gender that they want, absent of communication of what their parents have or any of that. Like, that just seems off to me. I don't mm-hmm. know. To me, that just seems off. It seems very, and that comes off, and this is where the conservative in me comes in, where it's like, that's the government having control over what happens in my household or having say so on my household and where it's like, okay, you're telling me now that, you know, you know more what's better for my kid better than the parents do, or that you understand my kid better than I do, or that I'm incapable of having conversations with my kid about, you know, gender. And I'm, I have a different perspective than most when it comes to gender and sexuality and stuff like that. But, you know, you're born as a male or female, those are sex. Those aren't genders. Those are your sex. Male male and female are sex. Man and woman are gender. And so the obvious logic is if you're a male, you're a man. If you're a female, you're a woman. That's the sim- simple assignments. I don't believe in gender fluidity to that extent. I'm not saying that people don't believe in and ascribe to that. But me personally... I don't uh, uh, subscribe to those things. But the bigger issue for me is working with children to help them to find identity. The reality is no matter how you look at it, if you believe in gender fluidity, that's your truth. You're going to teach it. That's your religion. That's what you're going to push. You're going to push that ideology to your child. So even if you're not, so there are some people who are straight who push to their children this concept of gender fluidity and they leave the options open for them if they want to wear a dress, if they want to play with dolls, if they're a boy and things like that. They leave those options open for their kids. Whereas, 
you know, if that's what you want to do for your household, fine. But that shouldn't be the expectation for all of us. So like if I have a daughter, I'm going to want to buy her dolls and things like that. Yeah, because we do probably train and emphasize gendered type of behavior, but I'm not going to just do that. Like if she wants to do sports, if she wants to do more other things, there are opportunities for that. But again, all with a seatbelt, the seatbelt being, okay, is this going to blur the lines of her sexuality? Is not going to blur the lines of her identity when it comes to gender in a way that I feel isn't biblical? And that's going to be our standard. It's always going to be the Bible. And Neither of us are afraid to admit that or to stand by that. But it's not to say that we don't understand or have any level of empathy for anybody who does feel or have this uh, level of not. I don't want to use the word confusion in this case, just out of respect to those people. But these people who have differing feelings than myself being a straight black male has or Jeff than being a straight black male has. I your differing feelings. I don't want to dishonor how you feel. Because I do care about that. I just ask that you show a level of grace. I don't want this world to have to be a place where everybody has to do things separately just to exist. I don't want to be in a space where like that has to be the case. But I do think there has to be a fair level of there has to be a fair approach to all of these matters. If you want to coexist, if we want to coexist and not be segregated, then there has to be a fair level of grace on both ends of this. Exactly. And powerful, powerful words. Look, my whole thing is we preach include. How do you say this word? Inclusivity all the time. We preach diversity all the time. Great things to be talked about. The issue is me being a Christian. There are let's just face it here. I mean, just as honest and blunt as I could be here. I, I mean, I'm shaping my children to follow out biblical principles. Yes. Principles. And so as a person who is doing so, obviously, I am training them to look at male and female distinctly, like just very separately. Right. Like, male, you got a male, you got a female. And on top of that, I am creating an atmosphere where I'm teaching them that one day you will get married to the opposite sex. Right. Real basic principles that the Bible teaches us. My big thing is. Mm-hmm. I love the sinners. I yeah, and so and to, and on top of that, yes, yeah, I do think certain things are sins. I think gender reassignment is a sin. But on top of all of that, mm-hmm. why does sexual preferences? Why do? Why are we talking about gender reassignment? Why do we have to have these conversations within it being taught in the space of like our curriculum? Uh, why? Why do we have to talk about these things? I don't understand why sexual preference belongs in you know, our curriculums. I don't understand why it's it has to be taught in our schools. I don't understand why gender reassignment has to be taught in our schools. Look, I could be devil's advocate just for the purposes of conversation. Okay, yeah, let's do that. So, and we both hate devil's advocate, but it's like the, the, uh, the natural contrarians in us love that phrase, but it's probably not the most, <laughs> it's not the most Christian phrase. But if I were to play devil's advocate, what they would argue is, it's not a matter of wanting to indoctrinate, but it's more of a matter of wanting to represent a real population and have a level of tolerance of that. So if you, for example, if I never see a gay character on television, if I never see a transgender character on television or if I never understand it, it's all going to be weird to me. It's all going to be wrong. And we're talking from a worldly perspective, not just putting the Bible to the side for a second, just for logistics from their perspective, from a worldly perspective. Uh, 
I need if I don't have the representation, if I don't understand them, then I won't treat them right. And so what their logic probably in the educational standpoint is if they understand these people and what has happened to them, the histories of them, the amount of I mean, transgender people have the highest some of the highest rates of suicide. But if you understand these things, maybe that'll limit the bullying. Maybe that'll limit the ridicule that children have, because we grew up we grew up in public schools, I believe. Yeah. And we we definitely call people gay. We call yeah. people all I've type heard. of the yeah. full range of things you could say that are horrible that we regret to this day, probably. And yeah. we've said all those things, but we know that still exists. But their hope is education can be a means to remove that. And there is punishment, severe punishments now for ridiculing or making fun of people of those identities. You can get in a lot of trouble. Your kids can get in a ton of trouble now. So that's the devil's advocate to that. Mm-hmm. And my only only rebuttal that yeah. I could even think would hold up as substantial would be that's when we have to go back to whether or not this country was based on Christian principles or not. I mean, like one would have to think, okay, have did we come here to 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 truly be based mm-hmm. on Christian principles to have uh what how, how do we say it the freedom of religion here, um you know and, and was it truly based on a Christian uh, principally uh, a Christian principles was it based on that and I would say yes I think that I think that yeah. some people don't some people think it was well it was here for freedom and to do whatever we want to do so. That would be the only thing I would have to say about that. And, and if I and if I could run with that, if I could run with that argument, it would be then the Bible specifically yeah. speaks um, negatively in light of those things. And so it's it's tough. It's tough because yes. I love, I have gay coworkers. I got gay friends. I would consider them friends. Um, you know, and, and and obviously there is a certain level of you know you know things you know that mm-hmm. I, you know like i've had some of the greatest co- some of my greatest co-workers were gay um i mean it's just what it is i mean but then um i've had gay people that were negative towards me and who talked down upon me and who backstabbed me you know so it just mm-hmm. i say all of that to say i it's hard for me to um like because I love everyone because I, I love everyone. I love everyone. It's hard yeah. for me to not be super um, imposing of my ideas and my worldviews and my beliefs on people, um, you know, and, and still come off as a loving individual and not be judged for it. But the only thing I really bring is, you know, like, well, we were brought here on Christian principles. We were we, we came here for these very things. Mm-hmm. We and so I even I would even dare say that this country was uh, uh, started as a Christian republic, right? You know, to where we would follow the things of the Lord. Yeah. And I would much rather it have stayed that way. But you know, we all you know, and so to your point, man. I, I mean, it's hard to really refute it's hard to really rebut that because um i mean that is a great point i mean yeah they they don't want to be talked about suicide is at a you know a rapid level within the transgender community i mean these are all real life statistics and so it's yeah i don't want them to be that way and i don't wish christians would be so superimposing of their thoughts and you know here's the thing there's a way to talk to a gay person i have preached oh let me tell you something this let me tell you about this Bible study I had. 
um, and I'm not going to share any names. God laid it on my heart. And I don't every Sunday, I don't always preach homosexuality. So, you know, I'm not one of the, <laughs> but I do preach on what I believe. One Thursday, excuse me, one Thursday, God laid it on my heart to, or one week, God laid it on my heart to share a Bible study on homosexuality for our Thursday Bible studies. And um, I kid you not, no one came to that Bible study except for a gay person. I'm not making this up. I wish I could make this up. I wish I could. I wish I could, but I'm not. And I and I thought to myself, like, man, like this one person came. That's crazy. And it's crazy. It's real crazy because I'm thinking to myself, like, man, Lord, like, hold on. Like, I wasn't I don't want to offend this person. Um, but at the end of the day, I let the scripture do all the talking. I gave less of my opinions, less of my personal, you know, thoughts and traditions on how I was raised. But I just made it very clear that this is what the scripture says. And when I made that clear, there was less of a judgmental attitude that went into it. And it was more of a, okay, well, he's just preaching the Bible. I mean, this is a Bible study. And so if we're going to preach, you know, you know, um, inclusive behaviors and lifestyles, we ought to be able to preach that. Well, guess what? There is a group of people that don't believe that that's right. You know, and so, yeah, we differ in worldviews. We differ in our opinions. But you have to also be receptive that, look, when you open up those doors, you open up the doors to other things. You open up the doors to people who have sexual preferences that deal with people under the age of 10. You have people who have sexual preferences that deal with inanimate objects. You have people that deal with sexual preferences that, you know, want to get married to their animals. I mean, it's just weird stuff out yeah. there nowadays. People that want to get married to a broomstick. I don't know. And they want to pass laws and legislation. So when I, I, I try to tread lightly and cautiously with this, because I don't want to offend any of you. I love everyone. You would be surprised to see uh, my doors are open for everyone. I welcome everyone. But if you ever wanted to know my worldviews, the Bible is what I believe. And you got to be all right with um, my, my thoughts and stuff on that. And so I, I guess you make a great point, Bradley, because guess what? Um, our Christian principles are embedded all in through our constitution, especially the original constitution. So, yeah, I, I hear you, man. But and that's yeah. why I always go back to that's why I firmly believe that we should have stayed with Christian principles. I'm not going to get too sidetracked here, but that's why you always hear me preaching. I don't subscribe to the idea of safe sex. I don't. I subscribe to the idea of being abstinent before mm -hmm. marriage. Right. Just a super, yeah. super Christian right here is what you're dealing with. Jefton is a super Christian. Right. And so <laughs> uh, I, I but I, I just man, I just wish that we could have stayed that way. And I don't know, man, I you know, it's tough. It's tough. But gender reassignment, hey. to your point, though, with children, if you're past the age of 18, 20, obviously you do what you want to do. Right. You, 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 you be with who you want to be. You look the way you want to look. Um, that's your prerogative. God gives yeah. us that free will. He allows these things, but for kids, mm -hmm. I don't want them to be indoctrinated that way. Um, especially I just don't want my children to be indoctrinated that way. I, I completely agree. I completely agree with the overall uh, sentiment, man. I just think, I think it's very challenging in the world we live in. Again, the Bible says nothing about separation between church and state. That is an American a very unique American concept, which 
has a lot of benefits, very good benefits because it puts it puts the two in their own proper perspectives. I guess the conversation then shifts to where when we are not among Christians, should we be should everybody else be held to our morality? Like that's where the that's where in that I think that'll be a great topic for the next discussion is how to what extent should the world be held to the level of morality of the church and how we should view them? When does that when is that a real topic? Because in my eyes, if I enter into a public institution, something that is government ran, then I'm subject to the things that the government wants. And my children would be if I put them in it. So whether that be healthcare for all and government funded healthcare, if I subscribe to that, which I believe Biden's going to do a universal healthcare, but he's going to have a he's going to have a public option to it, to where if you want to do public, you can. If you don't, you just keep whatever you got. So with all that being said, if I choose the public option, I'm subject to the things of it. It's just like the law. You know, if I'm a, if I'm gonna say I'm a, I abide by the law of God, then okay, well you subject to all the laws then you can't cherry pick them. And so that's the conversation. And that's why I started off by saying my heart isn't in a place to say, okay, well, we just need to segregate all the things we need to go to a, have our kids in a private school that espouses Christian values or whatever. I don't want it. I hate that it has to be that way because mm-hmm. I don't, I think there's a way for us to be tolerant of the of the it's not an us versus them so I, I think it's a way for us to be tolerant of those people who view the world that way who view life the way they do and then i also think there's a way for them to be tolerant toward christians so my thing is including christians in the room when you talk about bringing these things into public schools because you know that they're going to be people who are christian mm-hmm. like don't just completely ignore the christian view or those differences of morality because you got to be sensitive to the Jehovah Witness kid. And, and that's the other crazy thing. Like with with kids too, or like Jehovah's Witness, like they don't celebrate holidays. So like you have to have mindful ways to approach them. So I think there needs to be a level of tolerance for Christians too. And bring a Christian in the room to help create, like form these things. Yeah, we can have some history lessons on the atrocities that have happened to the LGBTQ we can have some history in it, but understand that we're not trying to indoctrinate. We're trying to more so represent because there are going to be some kids who have same sex attractions. I mean, we, it wasn't the same type of space when I was in high school, but there were. I remember distinctly there being girls that had same sex attraction. And we were we, we being the immature and disgusting kids we were. That was cute. So for some of us, that was so cute. <laughs> we liked that. <laughs> that sounded good to a lot of guys. But in reality, there were a lot of girls that had same sex attraction that I look back at that I went to school with. And that was a thing. And they had no space for it. And so in high school, it just completely flipped the switch because there was more spaces in high school for it. But they were older to make that decision in a lot of people's eyes too, I bet, is how people viewed it. So when it comes to children, we get, we're going to obviously lean on the side of being protective of children. We don't want them to be overly sexualized. We don't want them to just be exposed to anything. But the conversation, I think we can end it by saying we don't necessarily agree that children should be given that option to decide that for themselves, you know. And I think that's where we both agree there. They shouldn't get the choice. But the way it currently is said, they do have the choice to say it. And and they can tell you how they want to be identified as, too. If they want to be identified, if they're a boy and they want to be identified as a she or anything, they can do that. And it has to be respected. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right, man. And, you know, I, 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 I hate that it has to, like you mentioned, like segregation. But that is why I think it always everything falls back to the church. And I think that's why just to, you know, wrap up all of our conversations today, I, I think it all falls back to the church it falls back to the church. Uh, because the reason transgenders, uh, homosexuality is, is such a prevalent thing, is such a, a common thing is because the church isn't doing what it needs to do. You know, if the church would be less judgmental, if the church would be more exactly. open, transparent um and less traditional less religious i think we would see a greater you know uh, a, a heart of god to where it's like look you know this is it this is what mm-hmm. has this you know and so that those those are my thoughts but it, it, it'll always fall back to the body of christ and this is why we're sharing this with you all because you know when you talk about co- topics like this it makes you think well did my vote and I'm not saying mine specifically, I'm speaking for the whole body or, you know, some of the body that voted for Biden and uh, liberal politicians for that nature. Does that mean that because I voted for that, that I subscribe and that I believe that gender reassignment is OK? You know, it makes you wonder. It's like, OK, well, then even vice versa. OK, exactly. Then, since I voted for Republican and Republican candidates, does that mean that I subscribe to Let's just say a large majority of blind eyes that are turned to systemic oppression. Does that mean I subscribe to that? Makes you think. And so good questions. It it, 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 great questions. And it it speaks for great content here. But so you all know, my mindset has always and I've been preaching this since day one. I wish we were under a theocratic (laughs) governing system. I've been preaching this as, you know, like some of our some of our artists and people that we Mm -hmm. follow. You know, these terms like politically agnostic and things. Guess what? I know where I want my politics. I want my politics embedded in a theocracy, which means that I want it to be God governed. If our world was God governed, if our system was God governed, a lot of what we're talking about today wouldn't even be uh, uh, an issue. Mm -hmm. Because it could be because the children of Israel were super rebellious. So we could be talking about the same things. But, you know. That's like Great. your version of saying, you know, God knows my heart. I want a, I want a theocracy. Well, you sure? <laughs> you sure you want God at the top of the at the throne? <laughs> we already saying in terms of salvation, in terms of leading our life, but like you want God in your politics like that? <laughs> and my honest answer is yes. It may not be the easiest, but it's gonna be the it's gonna be what leads us all in the straight and narrow. But <laughs> it definitely won't be the easiest. That's gonna be the hardest. <laughs> Man said they wanted a king. Yeah, the children of Israel, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Apparently, it should have only been an 11-day journey. Yep. So it's very good. It's, it's really hard, and I don't think it will be easy. But I think a lot of us Christians especially, we should open our minds to, to more of that train of thought. Just get back to the basics. Just start thinking, what can I do to be a better person, a better individual, a better Christian, so that I can have the right words to say in a timely manner. A lot of what we say, preach, and do— um, it, it's focused on time and when to say it. Like I, like I told you earlier in my story of you know pre, uh, doing that Bible study on homosexuality, it was a time for me to do that. Obviously, it was for him, right? God was dealing mm-hmm. with his heart, obviously. And there's a time for a lot of what we do and say. And unfortunately, that's why social media has become blessings and that's why it has become curses. And um, 
I mean, it's just one of those things. And so, yeah. you know, great talk today, though, brother. No, for sure, man. I definitely enjoyed it. A lot of good stuff out, man. Hope y'all enjoyed this as well. We're looking forward to more talks. Yes. So, uh, look, that's all we got today, man. So, I mean, I'm hoping next week or when we decide to come with some new content, I'm hoping that, um, you know, we could come with some more great, entertaining, uh, thought-provoking uh, talks. And I hope that you all were blessed and, and I hope that you all find, you know, gems from what we'll share today. Yes, sir. Like and subscribe. We need people on this and we excited to put out more content. Yes. Oh, yeah. You may throw your social medias out there, too. Probably sure. Follow me. Truth the Raps. T-R-U-T-H-A. And then Raps on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. And then you can find me at Jefton Jones. Um, I think my Instagram is JJ Boss. My Twitter is Jefton Jones and YouTube is Jefton Jones. That's me and my wife do a lot on, or we used to do a lot on YouTube and we're trying to get back. So that's where you can find me. Yes, so look, I hope you all were blessed. I hope we talked some great stuff today and we'll talk with you next time.